Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I am blown away by this guest that I have coming on this morning. She is, if I know anybody that's an intentional encourager, it's this young lady that I'm going to introduce you to today. She is an ambassador for the Sales Rebellion. And her LinkedIn bio says that she's an encourager. She's a motivator, an activator, a dreamer, a perfect fit for this podcast and for such a time as this. My guest this morning is Joy Hewitt Carvajal, who has joined me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I stumbled just a tad, but I wanted to make sure I pronounced your last name right because you have an unusual last name. It's spelled C-A-R-V-A-J-A-L. So that, that J can trip you up. How are you today, Joy? Hey, Brian. I'm doing really good. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on, and I'm super excited for our conversation. I am too. I am too. And I, I have full disclosure, we record these things and then my cell phone goes off and then I've got a squirrel moment where my ADHD kicks in. So uh, forgive me for that. You'll see that on video when it releases. Joy, everybody has handled this situation. I ask this about just about every podcast because everybody has handled this whole pandemic COVID-19 situation differently. Yeah. How are you, and I'm going to change the way I'm asking this question, because I don't think all of us are surviving this pandemic, as people would like for us to believe. How are you thriving in this pandemic? So, I believe that God prepared me for this. I believe that there were some things that he placed in my heart a year ago that I acted on that helped me to live better today. Mm -hmm. Um, A year ago today, I was working in a showroom as a sale, you know, as a salesperson. um, And I felt God say, you need to, you need to ask to work from home. You need to, you need to work from home. You need to spend more time with your kid. You know, you need to make a sacrifice and do it. And so I, I consulted my husband and I said, this is what I feel like I need to do. At the same time, he got a promotion in his job and essentially opened us up to be able to say yes. And so we said, if not now, then when? And I just did it. And Mm -hmm. I just started working from home and God totally has honored that. And so in the process, as this pandemic came through, I'm already working from home. I had already adjusted, like I had already been set up right Mm -hmm. and then I was able to really go full-time in the sales rebellion and um, honestly that's like my my gift and my calling aligned it became so beautiful and so I watched how me being obedient to that call of like making an action like choosing in faith to do something because I knew my income would be less like I wasn't no longer earning a salary when I did that and so God has provided in miraculous ways for us out of obedience. And so I feel like that's how I've thrived in this process is being able to obey and hear the voice of God versus just 
walking around in fear and what ifs, you know? Yeah, when you first decided, and I love that because a lot of people, Joy, have the opportunity to do what you did, but they're fearful because, one, it breaks a routine that they've always had, and, two, they go, well, how am I going to be as productive or successful working from home? There's a lot of the fear of the unknown. When you started to see how this could take shape for you, what were some of those things? Were there any fears that, that you had to overcome from doing that? Or was it, hey, this is what I feel like. It's in my heart and it's full speed ahead. Absolutely. I think we always have fear. I think there's, there's all, like fear when nobody's immune to having fear. Um, <clears throat> but it is a matter of how we face it and how we deal with it, right? So I had thoughts go through my head like, well, what about my kid? What about his social interactions? Like, how, I, how am I going to make sure that he's getting what he needs? Um, you know, as far as being around other kids, I only have one kid right now. It's not like I have like a, a tribe of children that he can just hang out with. Um, it's okay. So I'm I, a dad of an only child. My wife and I chose to have one and the older they get, the less you see them. Yeah, exactly. Mine's, mine will be 20 next month. And it, you know, the, the older they get, you know, he likes to stay up all hours of the night, you know, because it's what he can do. He's an adult now, but no, I digress. But you mentioned your little boy. I, I, I want to just break off here and, and pivot for just a second. Having that, that buy-in from your husband is great. And, and again, it shows that you're equally yoked together. I don't make people ask me all the time. I, I'll share this with you, Joy. You're, you're a lady. You'll appreciate this. So a buddy of mine and I were at the mall. He, he called me one day. He said, the mall's not far from where we live. He said, hey, meet me over here. Let's get a bite to eat for lunch. And he said, I've got to go to the jewelry store and get something for my wife. So, okay. So we walk in the jewelry store and he's looking and the, the salesperson notices that I'm with him. And, and she said, sir, and what about something for your wife? And I said, not a chance. My wife would kill me dead if I walked in here and spent two grand without her knowing it. And opened, and opened an account without her, her and I talking about it. That's yeah. just the way we've, we've done things and the way we are. But your husband's on board. What was that conversation like with your little boy to say, mommy's coming home to work instead of going to work every day? Um, at the time, he was two. So the conversation was, wasn't, that he just was excited that he didn't have to go anywhere else that it, what it was amazing because it was kind of like a whole lot of circumstances came together all at once so the lady that was watching my son was moving out of town she had like a home-based wow. daycare type thing and she was five minutes from my office like there was all these things it was perfect but then all of a sudden she was leaving and she gave me like a month's notice and was like I'm moving out of town like we're leaving the state that doesn't surprise me because if God's in something then things like that happen. And besides, two-year-olds have their own conversations. My son would sit and watch TV and just be like, hey, buddy, who are you talking to? I'm talking to the television. <laughs> my son is very proficient. He's, he's, he, work, he talks extremely well. Um, he, he picks up on things really fast. So it wasn't uh, – we had to say goodbye to her, and he was sad to not get to see her. Um, but it was like, these things all came together and I saw like, basically by me stopping working in that capacity, 
the money I was saving on not paying for daycare kind of also balanced out. Um, now I wasn't making some of the extra money I would have been making, um, but I was able to negotiate enough of a deal to where I could still continue on the sales that I'd already sold and made. Um, so I could maintain my commission. And so, um, you know, all of the pieces aligned and, um, then I was able to, I always had wanted to be able to essentially work from home so that it would give me more ability to operate in the ministry. I know that God's given me, I have, um, students that I mentor and work with. And a lot of them, you know, I have helped me watch Connor or I take them out for coffee or they come hang out at my house. And I wanted to be able to be available for them instead of working all day, every day and not having the time because then in the evenings I have to spend time with my family because I don't get to see them during the day. You know, mm -hmm. all of those like juggles that we're all constantly juggling. And so uh, I think for me, it was, a lot of like this is finally an opportunity and although it felt risky and it felt scary i just did it anyway and yeah. i am i'm just looking back in hindsight i'm so grateful that i chose to say yes and i think that's the the story of our lives with god like when we choose to say yes even when things feel risky and it kind of goes against natural instinct in some ways or the fear instinct and we just go for it anyway and we watch God reward our faith. It's just the most rewarding and fulfilling journey. Um, now the reward doesn't always come immediately. <laughs> I'll say that, that I've definitely had some, some hard months that haven't been as, you know, free flowing with money as previous. Very when true. I was working, so right? very true. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to make it seem like something it's not, you know, however, I still see, the faithfulness of God. Mm -hmm. I see just phenomenal increase in different areas of my life. I still have a house and food on my table was not gone without. I'm so grateful. You know? Yeah. God, God always provides for his children. And it's, 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 I, I my wife and I had a, an unfortunate situation three years ago where I lost my job for about six months and God just provided and I was talking, we had sent our son to a Christian school. We were always intentional about, you know, we're going to send him to a Christian school because that's what we believe. Right. And um, his basketball coach came up to me one day after I'd gotten restored my job back. And he said, I don't understand how you guys were able to make it and send your son to a Christian school. And I said, it was all God. Like every bit of it was God. Like we we made it yeah. like we made it and our income was cut by 75% and we made it yeah. and it wasn't anything that we did. And I just, I got to park here for just a second, Joy, because I know that there are people that are going to hear this when it releases, when this podcast releases and they're going to listen to what we've just talked about. And they're going to say, that's me. My income's been cut by, by COVID-19. I'm scared. I don't know what I'm going to do. And there are two voices you're hearing in this podcast, mine and Joy's, that are telling you it's going to be okay, that God will provide. Just hold on, just trust and believe. Because you had to do that, right? Those months that it was lean for you guys, that's what you had to do. What, what part of that faith did, what part of your faith did that really tap into? Because some people, 
will say, well, I prayed more from this, or I, you know, I fasted more, I, I did more, I read the word more, things like that. What part of your faith did you tap in most when things got leanest? I think for me, it was my communication with God. And because he's always speaking over us, he's always talking to us. And if we choose to listen, we can hear it. And so for me, it's tapping into him and saying, God, let me hear what you're saying so that I can stand on your word. Then I'm not relying on my own understanding. I'm, I'm relying on you and letting you guide and direct my path and help me to trust you. And I often, when things are lean, I always look back because it's not the first time in my life things have been lean, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, our, our seasons, we go through seasons that are hills and valleys and I've been through the valley before and God never failed me then and he's not about to start now. And so that has always been this thing that I would say, saying God has always, always, always taken care of us, always. And he's not about to start failing us now. He is not a failing God. He is always a God of provision. He is always a God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. He is the God of miracles. He is the God of making ways. And so for me, I speak that back over and say, I refuse to listen to the voice that tells me that I'm not enough or that God's not enough. I refuse to choose to agree with that voice that shares negative insight in my life. Mm-hmm. I will listen to the voice of my creator who said that, that he will not see the seed of the righteous begging bread. Well, I come from righteousness. I have yeah. inherited righteousness through the blood of Jesus and through my family, but primarily through Jesus, right? And so yeah. because he has made me righteous, I will not be begging for bread. Because he has made me who I am, I know I can trust and count on him in every single way in my life. And so for me, there's areas that when I hear those voices, I have to take them captive and I have to remind my, I have to sift it like wheat and I have to choose what I will believe. Mm-hmm. And I have to like throw out the garbage, you know, take out the trash and hold on to the gems, hold on to what I know is true, not what the enemy would try and make me believe. And so there's a lot of lies that are going to float around our heads at any given time. And the best thing we can ever do for ourselves is take our mind captive, take our thoughts captive and really like use the weapon that our mind is for the war and the battle it was made to fight. Yep. Because too often we let our minds get taken over by an enemy who is a Trojan horse who all he wants to do is destroy us. Yet we have a God who's on our side, who wants to use our mind, our weapon to further his kingdom and further our stakes. He wants to open the tent pegs. But if we can't maintain what's happening inside our own minds and let him have control in there, we can't expand out past ourselves. We can't encourage other people. We can't do things that we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be looking bigger than just what's out inside. We're supposed to yep. be going larger. We, we are made for greatness. No, and you're hundred so, percent right. And, and, and I, I didn't mean to jump in there, but yep. two things, you, you, two things right there. 
number one, I've always said to people, you cannot intentionally encourage others until you're intentionally encouraged yourself. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because then you're a hypocrite. If you're encouraging others and you're in the mall, you're a hypocrite. Yep. Plain and simple. And my dad, my late, my late dad drilled that scripture into my head. Psalm 37, 25. I am young, but now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. And that was the Psalmist David that wrote that. And he came from a shepherd field. So he knew what it was like to, 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 to have those times of lean. And, and I, I'm, I'm so appreciative that you brought that scripture. That's one of my favorite scriptures. And I encourage people with that scripture when they're going through lean times, like, look, you know, it's going to be all right. So let's pivot here real quick, Joy, because again, your story is so incredible. And I, I, I want you to tell it, you mentioned the lean times and take me as far back as you want to, to go and take the audience today and tell your story, how you got from point A to where you are today. So I grew up in New Zealand. Um, I know my accent doesn't reflect what it, uh, most people consider a New Zealand accent. So if it comes back out, you're welcome. If it doesn't, it's hiding. Um, so I grew up in New Zealand on a farm. My, um, my parents are still married to this day by the grace of God. And um, we had a small little farm. My, my mom chose to be a stay-at-home mom. So she made sacrifices and in her life and her career, she could have easily been a doctor or something to that effect. She's extremely intelligent, um, but she chose to sacrifice that to be able to stay at home and raise me and my three brothers. Um, I'm the oldest of four, and um, my my dad was a forestry contractor, and then he broke his back when I was 18 months old, which caused our family to no longer have his source of income. Um, and he's also dyslexic. So it, an office job wasn't an option for him either. As we grew up, my dad found different ways to make money. Um, he made compost and, um, I actually got bullied quite a lot for that just because our farm stank, like (laughs) dead fish and manure and all kinds of stuff that would eventually break down and turn into really nutritious compost. But until, until then it stank. and so I battled through bullying and just not getting the new clothes or the new things as a child, but my, my parents were faithful. Um, they, they gave wherever they saw need. They gave to people. They invited people into their home. They loved on them. They still do to this day. Um, eventually, my mom actually trained to be a Christian counselor, and so um, she walks, has walked in a ton of healing in her life and has been a real example and role model to me as to what it looks like to, to choose healing for your life and to choose to go through the uncomfortable in order to get to the other side so that you can operate in healing versus hurt. And um, so I actually started my career in sales, selling compost with my dad. Um, and I remember selling as much as he did, and that was really encouraging for me. And I heard him tell other people about how he's, I sold as much as he did door to door that day. And, you know, that gave me that spark, um, which is where, you know, me and the sales rebellion kind of, we, we, I've got my dad's side, if you will, the, the selling, the entrepreneurial, let's go, let's make something happen. And then I got my mom's side, which is the, 
the deep, thoughtful, caring woman of God. She's associate pastor at her, her church. And so mm. I kind of, the two collide. And so here I am at the sales rebellion. So how old time. were you when you started selling compost? Were you, were you a teenager when you started selling door to door with your dad? Eight. Eight years. You, you started selling when you were eight. My yeah. goodness. See, you've got as much sales experience as I do now, but I was 22 when I started selling. Like I sold in some ways because I, I'm the oldest, right? I have three brothers. I had to negotiate. Like I, and we didn't have TV. Like we were our entertainment. And so I would negotiate, convince my brother to do things for me. And, you know, I had to make what's in it for him, you know, and he was very compliant. <laughs> Uh, but my other two, they would even, we were, had the gift of the gab, we used to call it. Um, so wait a second, Joy. So not only did you have to deal with, with compost during the day, but you also had to deal with your brother's compost, so to speak, at right. night. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, and my mom's a hard sell. Like, she's extremely hard sell. I well, remember she probably me. saw right through you on some things. You know, that's how parents are a lot of times. She let me negotiate with her. She let me, if I could provide a sufficient argument or stance on my side of how I saw things, she would then, she would say, okay, that was a fair point, and she would make an agreement. So in a lot of ways, she taught me my negotiation skills. She my, I'm, me the, I'm the oldest of three, so I have two younger sisters and I'm the only boy, there was no negotiating with my dad. He was like, did I stutter? Did <laughs> He's like, um, did you not hear what I said to you? Yeah. Just go do it. So I, I understand that you had a, a loving mother that would just let you talk and, and do, you know, mine was the other way. My dad was like, no, that ain't the way it's going to be. I told you to do this. So it, it did made me kind of think there to it right like there's definitely some things she was hard and fast on absolutely she had healthy boundaries but on things that had room for negotiation she would allow us to negotiate and i rem like we re i remember writing like letters and essays for things as to why something should be a certain way or if i did something wrong i had to write an essay why that was wrong right so um <laughs> that she she definitely raised us well um maybe a little unconventional but I'm grateful for it. Um, and so I remember door-to-door -door salesmen coming to her house and, you know, trying to sell her on stuff. And she was extremely well-researched. And so they had a hard time selling to her. So I feel like watching her be the buyer or potential buyer with these other sales reps coming in and selling to her, it, it, I learned so much because we would just be sitting there watching it all happen, right? And it was probably better than TV because you were talking about fighting, you know, for time with your brothers for TV or something like that or for entertainment. And you're like, well, forget you guys just go ahead and watch what you want to. I'm going to watch mom dissect this salesman that's come to our house. She, she would. And she's one, one of those people that she's not going to trust somebody's first word. And just because you're charming and nice to start out doesn't mean anything. Like she's going to get to the root and the bottom of things. And then if something doesn't make sense, she's going to tell them, 
you know? And so I feel like because she was like that, my negotiation skills, I had to be a top notch because if I was going to, I had to be thorough, right? And so when it comes to my sales career, even now, I understand like being thorough and knowing my crap is really important. And so it, it that flows into a lot of my life, right? Whether it's my, my, my love for God, right? I have to know this, that I know this, that I know this. This isn't something that's just surface level and because somebody else told me it was a good idea. Like, so what was it that brought you, so take me through, and I don't mean to interrupt you there, but take me through your, your older, you, you're living at home and things like that. Was there a turning point moment where, where you said, okay, I've got to try to make my own pathway in life because, you know, at some point, we all get that desire to, you know, you either go off to college or, or you do things like that. What were your teenage and young adult years life like? And, and take me through the journey of how you got to the U.S. So I, um, at 13, I, I remember making a very distinct decision to follow God for myself, not for my parents. Um, so I was really involved in my youth group and my church, and I, I grew up doing that. Even at 13, I got a job. I worked in doing car washes because I needed, I wanted to go to Easter camp. So I would sell car washes at the local gas station. I'd use their water and everything and offer people a car wash for a donation. I used to, and then I would wash truck drivers, truck windows, and I would put them against themselves and say, the other guy from your company gave me this amount. Are you going to let him beat you? And (laughs) I'd get more money. (laughs) <laughs> and it worked. I, me and my friend Becca, we would, we would do it together, you know, keep each other safe, two girls out there. And, um, the guys at the gas station were always really nice and they took care of us too. And, um, we, we saved up enough money to where we could pay for Easter camp. And then after that, I was, I was 12 by then. And so then, um, I did, I believe for a, a year or so, then I got a job at a grocery store after school. So I'd go to high school during the day, and then I would go to the grocery store on the weekends and after school, probably about 20 hours a week. And then I worked at a skate shop. I worked my whole high school career because I knew my parents didn't have enough money to take care of everything I needed, and my allowance that I got was nowhere near sufficient. So I had to make additional income. Um, So I kept myself really busy. When I was 17, my last year of high school, I had three jobs. Um, and I went to high school and I was a leader at my youth group. So I got, I also got tonsillitis three times that year, I think, because I was literally running myself ragged. My immune system couldn't keep up. (laughs) Um, and so I ended up getting my tonsils out that year also. Uh, then I left high school and I went to work for a cafe and the cafe was a new one in town. Uh, cafes are huge in New Zealand. Everybody they're, they're on every corner they're really high end, everything's espresso. Um, And so I worked at a cafe, I started basically running coffee, just doing the lowest rung on the totem pole, if you will. And then for a year, my boss trained me and I taught taught me how to make um, proper coffee in an espresso machine. He was Australian, Italian, and very picky about how he made his coffee. And so I was privileged to be able to get to learn that from him. And then when they wanted something cleared out of the pastry case, 
he would put me on the register and I would make sure everything got sold. And so I, I learned a lot about myself in that process as I was working there. I remember doing dishes, hating doing the dishes, then thinking to myself, I need to start somewhere. You have to start at the bottom rung of the ladder to make it to the top rung of the ladder. And I remember telling myself this so that it would get me through days washing these stupid dishes. Like I hated it. I can't tell you how much I hated it. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm 17, 18 years old saying, I just need to suck this up, you know? Um, and so after that, I ended up moving to Christchurch and, um, had some interesting relationships with people I don't know that I should have had a relationship with. I even had an ex-boyfriend just like literally up and leave, disappear, never heard from him again. Um, and it, by the grace of God, I look back and I say, wow, that was, that was totally meant to happen. Like I was not supposed to be with him and God made a way that I would no longer ever see him again. Yeah. <laughs> it was bad news, right? Like I, I think I was a bit naive and I was loving of everybody and accepting and i Maybe I shouldn't have been, but God took care of me in that. Um, and so, like, he, I literally dropped him off at the airport and never heard from him again. It was the weirdest thing. Um, then I ended up moving to America because I had met a professional skateboarder. And um, all things looked peachy and fairy tale-ish, I guess. Um, he was a believer. Things turned pretty... Rough after that, nine months in, he got end-stage renal failure. He was drinking a lot, and um, things weren't all that we thought it would be. It was also right in 2009 when the economy crashed, and so he had no real backup, and nobody was hiring skateboarders to come and preach at their church anymore. Um, so that was a pretty, pretty low season of my life. We were together for six years. I was able to get my citizenship and everything, but it wasn't without a battle. Um, it was a, a pretty crazy time in my life where I, I got pretty low. Um, kind of wondered how my life had gone from being. I mean, my life was awesome. I had a lot of potential. I had a lot of excitement. I had purpose. You know, when I was in New Zealand, as before I met him, I was a community youth worker and I was working with young people. Joy, how did that, I've got, I've got to jump in again there because I, I want to, I, I've got to ask a follow-up question here if I can. What was that like for you going through that stage in your life where, where you meet this guy, you come to the U.S., and you're dealing with things and your family, your support system is five, 6,000 miles away. And, and you mentioned that's the time of recession. So 2008, 2009, FaceTime probably, it wasn't, you know, obviously there was no video calling like we have now, like we're doing this, this podcast. Uh, FaceTime, that was a relatively new technology. How did you get through those times without the, the support of your family who had always been there to support you? Um, God, honestly, it was God. Like, I'm so grateful I chose him and he chose me. Um, it's definitely some of the hardest times in my life. There was a lot of it. A good came out of it. and going through it has given me 
so much appreciation for other people and struggles that they knowingly or unknowingly walk into. Um, I always believed that I had to be where I was. I couldn't sit there looking back, missing home, wishing things were different because it wouldn't help me. Like, <laughs> I just wouldn't. And so I had to focus on the here and now, the present. I had to say, I choose to be here. I choose to be present in my moment. And I chose today um, instead of, because I met a lot of people even in, in the six years we were together that were from New Zealand or other countries and they were bitter. They were so disappointed that they weren't home anymore. Like, and I was like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be somebody who is so consumed by wishing things were a different way, wishing the past was different, wishing whatever, wishing their life away <clears throat> to where they never live fully presently in their moment. And so I made a choice to say, I'm going to live right now fully even and trust God in this, even though this isn't necessarily where I want to end up. And so then I had to make some very real choices to say, you know what, I'm going to go against some of the things that I feel like maybe religion, maybe my moral compass or whatever it is told me to believe. And I had to say, I'm going to leave this relationship and I'm going to go out and I, but I believed God had a destiny on my life. And I believed that I wasn't going to be a martyr, a martyr. I was going to live my destiny instead. And so, and here I am today living it, right? But I had mm. to, I had to make a choice then that that could happen and I could believe for it. Um, and so I, it was extremely hard and God provided all kinds of people in the process. You know, I, I made good friends. I had good discipleship groups, even in the midst of it all. I had people that were would surround me. I got involved in good churches that were powerful and had amazing people inside them. And I chose friendships and connection. And I let God still talk to me in the middle of it all. I would say that was probably the the biggest thing. And um, when I was when I first got here, I couldn't work for a year because I was still immigrating. And while you're immigrating and waiting for your visas and all of that stuff, you can't work. So it was very challenging <laughs> and after working you know three jobs or just constantly since I was 13 I'm 21 years old and I can't work it was wow. it was really weird wow I was gonna ask you the biggest obstacle that you overcame and the lesson you learned from it and I, I think you alluded to it there just just a minute ago in that answer but is there another obstacle that you overcame in your life that that you you thought was really insurmountable, but you overcame it? And what was the lesson that you learned from it? And I feel like that's definitely the biggest one I've had to try and face. I felt like a giant because I, I don't think, I was trying to look at my life like, just leaving the relationship was probably the, the biggest one because I didn't have so much of a support system. Um, I, I had moved to Florida and I knew nobody. 
And so I was like trying to find roommates or somebody to move in with or just something, right? And I didn't have anyone. Um, and so I, by the grace of God, he provided something, but it, it was, and it wasn't what I wanted necessarily. And <laughs> is so, that where you learn to develop your faith? Because you are, you know, in talking to you and you know, I've had conversations, other conversations, you're very much a faith based person. And for some people that are Christians and even those that are not Christians, especially Christians, it takes a long time for some people to develop that kind of faith because it just, faith is not something that comes naturally to a lot of people. The definition of it is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's the definition. That's the literal biblical definition of faith. But do you feel like in that season, is that where you really developed your faith in God? I think it had a big impact. I, I had experienced, like I moved to America on a whim, right? I just ran at life and not from it. And I think we have to remember that fear and excitement feels the same way. And I also believe that faith is also, fear is also hope in something that we can't see, but it's a, it's the, it's the wrong kind of hope. It's seeing all of the negative outcomes that something could have and believing it. And in the same way, faith is like looking at all the positive outcomes of something and believing it. And so I believe that the two have powerful consequences in our lives. And so for me, I've had to just choose that God had better plans for me. And, you know, this makes me think of something that my mom always taught me. And we, and it's something that helped me through this. And I, we call it giving up our rights. Now we live in a world where like, I remember getting taught human rights, right? Things that you were entitled to because you're human, like fair treatment, food, roof over your head, mm -hmm. um, not being, you know, racially discriminated, right? Like all kinds of things that are human rights that, you know, you've, we've got bill of rights, We've got these things that create this entitlement in us that we have a right to X, Y, Z. And when we feel like we have these rights that are supposed to be for us, by us, and as, as much as they are perfectly wonderful things, we often hold on to them so tightly that we no longer actually let God's will for our life happen because we get, we try to control everything. And so something my mom taught me to do was to give up my rights. So it wasn't about caving to somebody, but it was about saying, God, I give up my right to this thing, right? That I feel like is a good thing. So at that time, it was like, I give up my right to feeling wanted by my ex, right? Like I had to give up my right to what all these things and emotions and feelings that I personally wanted and felt like I had the right to have. And it was all kinds of different things I had to give up my rights to, but it's this art of surrender. And it's this art of saying, God, I believe that your will for my life is better than my will for my life. Mm -hmm. And when I chose to operate in saying like, I'm going against what my flesh wants 
and I'm choosing what you want, God, because what you want for me is so much better than what I want for me. Mm -hmm. So when I did that and I chose to let go and stop holding so tightly to the things that I felt like I wanted and I deserved and I should have. And I said, God, I'm going to lay it all down and I want what you want and nothing more. And that is what I feel like opened a lot of the doors for me. And I feel like in life, when I'm holding on to something too tightly, that's what I do. I take it back and I say, I give up my right to that. And I say, I refuse to bow to my will and I will bow to your will instead, God. And when I did these things, that it's the art of surrender. And he always gave us, he gave me those things, but he put those desires in my heart, right? He, He wasn't saying that those things are bad things. He's saying, give me those things so that I can give them to you in ways you didn't imagine. And I saw how God provided for me in my life. So my dad, as much as I talk about him in good ways, he was very emotionally unavailable. He wasn't a hugger. He didn't say a lot of nice things. Like there's a ton of things there that I could say about my dad. Now God's healed a lot of that pain. So I really don't talk about it from a place of pain anymore. Mm -hmm. And God, I saw God replace the things that I wanted from my dad in somebody else. So I have a a gentleman in my life. His name is my Papa Bear. His name's Lindsay. And he like replaced my dad in, in, in the emotional side of things, right? Like he's not my dad, dad, but I, I lived with him for a year after leaving home. I lived with him and his wife. They loved on me. And I got to see what it felt like to have somebody who cared in a different way than my dad had the capacity to do. And I remember giving up my right to feeling these ways from my dad. And then I watched God provide for me through this man instead. And he, he, he married my husband and I. Like he is somebody who's a pivotal part of my life that showed me a love that my own father couldn't provide. He didn't know how. And that was okay because I trusted God to provide for me, but I had to give up what I wanted in order to let my hands be open to what God wanted to give me. And so in the same way, I saw him provide in that, and I knew he'd provide in this. Wow. Wow, that's so good. Joy, in the last couple minutes that we have together, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I asked that question. I started, I started not to, and then I thought, no, I've got to go ahead and do it. But Joy, I usually end every episode, as you know, with, with my guests leaving their biggest piece of intentional encouragement. What is your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for folks listening to our conversation? You are irrevocably loved. There is nothing that you can do that will stop you from being loved. There is not a sin on earth that you can do that can replace the love God has for you. You are wanted and you have purpose in this life. And if you would choose to say yes to the purpose and let go of the things that you've been holding on to, you will find new life and life abundantly. You are made on purpose for a purpose. I believe that our purpose in life is to find our purpose and then our mission is to give it away. It's to give it to all that's around us, to encourage people, to lift them up, and help them walk in their fulfilled calling. They would, you would walk in your calling and help others, others walk in theirs. 
I believe that you were supposed to listen today because you needed to know that it's okay to be down and that you will get back up. You will rise again. You will walk in power. You will walk in places that you never dreamed of because you can walk anywhere. You have been made with massive amounts of purpose. You've been made with massive amounts of power. And I want to encourage you today to go after it, to believe it for yourself and say yes. And I want to encourage you that you are loved beyond measure and that you, when you grasp how much you're loved, you will find ways to love people you never knew how. And so today, be blessed, be loved, and be encouraged. What a, what a tremendous way to end this conversation. That was so, so good. Joy Hewitt Carvajal has been my guest today. Find her at thesalesrebellion.com, joy at thesalesrebellion.com. You can also find her on LinkedIn at Joy Hewitt, H-E-W-I-T-T, Carvajal, C-A-R-V-A-J-A-L, Joy Hewitt Carvajal on LinkedIn. You on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that? I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram too, KiwiJoy7. KiwiJoy7, okay. And on Facebook, Joy Hewitt Carvajal. That's awesome. Joy, this has been way better than than I could have ever imagined. And it's because you were so open and honest and transparent today. And, And again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast been my pleasure brian thank you so much my thanks as always to producer bryce sexton and technical advisor matt means and the ultimate thanks goes to the lord jesus christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word and until next time remember everyone everywhere at any time and any place can be an intentional